You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Network. How would you like to produce the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie? I'd love to. I love it. What is it? It's classic American cartoon from early 60s. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at Movies and films and franchise. Movies and films are the same thing. Fuck me. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies and franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and we're wrapping up our uh, somewhat excruciating look at three uh, live-action Rocky and Bullwinkle-related films with 2000's The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, directed by Des McEnough. With me is Thrasher. A lot has changed in 35 years. Velcro has replaced the zipper. Sneakers have lights on them. The Cold War is over. And the Rocky and Bullwinkle show is still cancelled. And Alex? Moose and... <clears throat> sorry. Moose and Shkvel. Very good. Yeah, so... This movie is kind of infamous for uh, what a bomb it was. A box office bomb, rather. I, I don't want to say anything bad about Pennsylvania and um, you never know when fearless leader might be watching. And just this got such bad negative reviews. I, it got such shit for Robert De Niro starring in it. And I have to say, uh, that's partially why I haven't seen it until I just saw it this past week for the, uh, the podcast. And he's actually pretty good in it. I think I don't have a problem with him at all, but yeah, like off a budget of 76, he's pretty good. Yeah. He's pretty dedicated here. Um, he's he's giving yeah. it his all. There's an element of self-parody, which we'll talk about later. But like he he is bringing exactly the kind of energy that this movie needs. It's just a shame that the rest of the movie is not bringing this kind of energy. Yeah. So um, I do recall like maybe Comedy Central or Family Channel or something running this a lot on television because certain clips oh. I, I recognized. Uh, but I had not seen it before the, this program. Have you, Thrasher or Alex? Nope. I had never uh, seen it when it when it came out. As I've said before, my family we were huge Rocky and Bullwinkle fans, which is probably why we didn't see it. Like that, <laughs> that uh, the general the general consensus when this came out was that well the only good part is Robert De Niro. We're not going to pay full price for for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we just we stayed home, and I think we made the right choice. <laughs> The other mind-blowing thing here is that it's written by Kenneth freaking Manchester by the Sea Lonergan. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this, we were talking about the box office. Worldwide, it made uh, around $35 million off a $76 million budget. Keep in mind, when you hear budgets announced for movies, that's not what the real budget is. And also, you can usually multiply that by two to throw in the marketing in there. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this, this thing lost tons of money it on, on home video and stuff i'm sure it did fine and maybe through do sales and stuff it eventually recouped somewhat but it, I feel it like just shows be the, the best yeah. meta joke ever would be an advertisement of rocky and bullwinkle 
And then, you know, uh, Bullwinkle's like, 35 million, that's great. I'm like, but, <laughs> but that's half the budget of the film. Oh, geez. Yeah, well, I have to so, so say something positive about this movie, particularly uh, Kenneth Lonergan's uh, script. He does make a really concerted effort to try to reproduce the humor of the show to the point where, like, he reproduces the patter between Rocky and Bullwinkle. There are multiple points in this movie where they do a run like they used to do on the show. And those kind of work. I, I don't think the, you know, the cartoon characters work fine. Like, their dialogue, I think, is fine. I think the problem is this has the really... Uh, tired premise um, by the time this came out of, oh, the cartoon characters are going to go in the real world. Like the Smurfs movie did the same thing with the Smurfs in New York. The fucking He-Man movie, Masters of the Universe, did the same thing with, <laughs> uh, you know, He-Man and uh, going into Vancouver, British Columbia, or wherever the hell we went in that movie. Like it's, it, it's just, it, it instantly dates the movie in a way. And the, the stuff in the beginning is is I think more appealing where they're just in the cartoon world and it's like they could have just stayed here and had a perfectly cromulent picture with with yes. actors in the bad guy parts and maybe the good guys being the or the animal stuff being computers. Um, well, really, I think all of this movie's problems come from the idea that we're going to have the characters in the real world because it would be one thing if just for a joke. Frostbite Falls, Minnesota was animated, but the rest of the world was live action. But no, there's sort of traveling through a portal, and there's sort of a dis a real distinction between being animated and live action. And the thing that, but the thing that really hurts it is, you can't do a movie where there is a distinction between animation versus real world when the real world is more of a cartoon than the animated segments. Oh, yeah, because yeah. you're trying to make, like, photorealistic-looking three-dimensional cartoons and then drop them in the real world and be like, whoa, how crazy is this? When we've already seen that a bajillion one times at this point with, like, you know, freaking the new Star Wars movies and all that. Um, but, but it's more than that. Every live-action character in the real world is a ridiculous over-the-top cartoon. Everything operates yeah. on cartoon physics. And and when you and, and the thing is, Rocky Bullwinkle was never that impressively animated Right. And all that, that does is make you remember, oh, right, this was never impressively animated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not just that. And I mean, this isn't the fault of the film necessarily. Technology moves on and, and you end up just having higher kind of baseline standards of, of what you want graphics and stuff to look like. But while this does have like some some lighting and, and then some nuance, you're taking CG characters and putting them in a movie where they're in the bright sunshine most of the time. Like that's that's ballsy. They typically don't do yeah, that, that because you big. can you can hear the mistakes. And I think it doesn't like, I don't think Rocky and Bullwinkle look very good. I think the the limited animation stuff like that's fine. But it, every time I see a movie do this, I, most of the time I just think this was done much better decades ago in who framed Roger rabbit. And I yes. know that's 2d and this is 3d, but it's just the, the suspension of disbelief that I'm not watching. And as you, um, you were, were kind of getting at Alex, I think, you know, nearly every Marvel and DC movie is basically that you're practically watching a cartoon most of the time anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's interacting with real people. Right. It's it's not like, whoa, what am I doing here? You know, especially I mean, 
it would be more of a novelty if this came out in like 1992, like, you know, around like Roger Rabbit times. Um, or even like right after Jurassic Park, right? Where the computer yeah, stuff exactly. was, was, was really a bit more polished and like, this is going to be the future. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, the other thing too, there's a, there is a lot of good, I think in the movie, I think it makes its mistake though with, um, cause it kind of falters to this like late nineties era, Nickelodeon style humor. Oh, the music and, too. God. Yeah. And like the whole <laughs> thing with like freaking, you know, Karen compassion or whatever her name is. Um, the FBI agent. Karen sympathy, which I yeah, think is yeah. a pretty good is name. That, they're trying to give you like um, a family friendly younger hip character for the kids to like. And the thing is, is that like the Rocky and Bullwinkle humor is kind of timeless and works for all ages and it doesn't have to play itself down. You know what I mean? It's like good, clean fun. That's not reductive. Like I put this on YouTube all the time and I'm cracking up because it's a genuinely funny show. And if they stuck yes. with that humor and not try to like you know, Nickelodeon it, a it, you know what I mean? You'd have a much more effective film, but you kind of have this whole like subplot where, you know, she's got to like awaken her inner child or whatever it is. And it's just kind of goofy. And, and we keep cutting to in her head, this like little girl version of herself. It's yeah, so, right. Which is weird because she clearly is in touch with her inner child because she acts like a complete goofball. I just thought that her inner, her inner child is in her eyeball, and it almost looks like Cronenbergian. Like, it's very... <laughs> I know, like I could, yeah. I could never un, like, unsee that. It's... Like, cocteau surrealism. No, yeah, I so, I mean, that. some of the stuff with, with the, the cartoon stuff in the real world, especially near the beginning, I think, you know, they're driving and cartoon weapons are being launched at them. I thought, okay, that sort of works. And it's just, they go to so many cities. There's so many cameos. This thinks is the next Muppet movie, when it's not even fit to lick the boots of... Uh, you know, Sweetums or whatever. Like, I was thinking, I said Sweetums, but I was trying to think of a more obscure Muppet reference. But yeah, anyhow. <laughs> e God damn it. Yes, that's a good one. That's the dragon, isn't it? Yeah, he's this creepy monster dude. Well, well, yeah. look at, so looking at some of these these cameos, because we've all, because like Jason Alexander and Rene Russo as Boris Badenov and Natasha Patal, they're exactly who you want in those roles. Oh, totally. But, but you know, uh, Randy Quaid before he went mad. Uh, Paget Brewster, who would go on to be a huge name. Uh, her talk show Paget. Andy Richter controls the universe. Bird Girl. Um, Janine Garofalo. Carl Reiner. Jonathan Winters. John Goodman. And it just goes yeah. on and on. Right. Kel Keenan and Kel are in this, yep. kind of as themselves, and that was a delightful moment. Yeah, that was fun to see them. That was cool, and it made me feel bad for uh, Kel Mitchell, who. Um, for whatever reason, just didn't quite have the huge success Keenan Thompson has had, and and Keenan Thompson has has. Uh, I, I think luck is always part of this, all of these things, but he's he's you know super super talented dude that's been working since he was a kid, and and he holds the record for being in SNL. I think it's over twenty years now, and oh, it's like shucks. why it's like why not stay? Like that's a good gig. It's a well respected gig, and anytime you do something else, what does it say in the review? It's no SNL. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, like he's so good on that show. It's kind of what he was born to do. It feels like it's the perfect place for him. But so on the subject of, of Kel Mitchell, like part of the reason that Kel did not have the same uh, the same career Keenan had is that Keenan, you know, you know, Keenan went on to do SNL and uh, did some movies in the SNL. But Kel Mitchell, he he made he did make a bad choice because when when he left Nickelodeon. 
rather than like going into film or, or like trying to find you know sustainable work he pro- started he started a company to produce his own direct to dvd comedy videos and mm. and on the one hand that's a good idea cuz like you control the work you get all the money but at the same time direct direct to market dvds the business just never evolved to work that way yeah and well, so it just kind of like fell fell behind you know Oh, also, the thing that made Keenan so good is that he had killed a play off of. And it's always yes. the straight guy playing off of the foil who I think hones their craft much more. It's like, who do you remember out of the Seinfeld cast? Not Kramer. <laughs> well, well, you do remember him, but not you because do. of Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But although yeah. I gotta say I do kind of like that whole bit because like Rocky and Bullwinkle end up hips. This movie is one damn thing after another. I think it's almost a fool's errand to try to explain what the plot is. But yeah. at one point they get a lift from two idealistic, fresh-faced young college students who are traveling cross-country to find America. Martin and Lewis, and and I'm just thinking, oh well, what kid's gonna get that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate yeah, it. I, I'm glad you, you you brought up the narrator here because it's not the same actor that did it in the other films. In this one, it's Keith Scott, who is also the voice of Bullwinkle here. And yeah. um, his Bullwinkle, I think, is is excellent. But the, the narrator doesn't quite have the uh, the manic energy. That, well, you know um, what it is? It's, it's that he, he's doing the narrator voice that you remember in your head, not the narrator voice the show actually has. Yeah, he's doing the impression of the narrator voice. I, yeah, fair enough. And, and it's, um, it's, it's not bad in that sense. It, it's, it's accurate, but it's just lacking a bit of a, a, a droit de vivre. Yeah, this is the best like cover band you could get for the <laughs> original. Yeah, let's uh, go back. You mentioned the, the cast a bit, Thrasher, and um, I, I, I totally agree that, especially compared to the Boris and Natasha movie we saw, and not that I mean those were good actors in that, but Jason Alexander and Rene Russo as Boris and Natasha respectively understood the assignment more mm-hmm. of, of of how to do a cartoon character played by real people, and I mean you you would never call what they're doing subtle, and and yet they. I don't know if I'd say dignity, but like they, they do it right. They don't seem embarrassed to be playing these characters. They're having fun with it, definitely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that is one thing I will say. This wasn't really that fun to watch. I get the sense this was a very fun movie to make. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, Jason Alexander is giving it a lot more energy than Dave Thomas gave it. Um, yes. I do like Dave Thomas's kind of understated um, uh, Boris, but. You can tell they're having more fun, and, you know, they're playing it up. They're arching their eyebrows higher. They're exaggerating their, you know, bodily emotions and what have you in that in that fun, lighthearted way. And so is De Niro. He's having a lot of fun in this movie. And I, you know, I totally give him props for that. Because, again, he knows exactly what this is supposed to be. And, oh, and, and De Niro really, uh, up to this point, hadn't done that much as far as, as comedy goes. And was this Meet this, the Parents yet? Or I, I was going to say, if, I think if that not, was the next year or the year after. Yeah. So, I mean, it was sort of, he was kind of shifting to doing, um, a, a lot of comedies and, uh, he, he still does serious stuff now and then, but understandably after doing a lot of, you know, like heavy dramas and crime pictures and stuff, you yeah. want to do something Sa- same different. Year. Same year. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, well, you know, uh, I guess analyze this was really his first big comedic role. And even then, 
He's not yes. the funny part. He's still playing a tough as nails gangster in that yeah. movie. He's playing lighter stuff like Wag the Dog. Um, I mean, he's still a David Mamet joint, but um, yeah. And also, I feel like one of the big De Niro performances to mention at this time was his performance in Jackie Brown because A, he's not the lead in that, and B, he's, he's kind of a Brown. fucking fuck up in that movie. He's just mm-hmm. kind of a bumbling dope. And I was like, what an interesting direction to go in, Bobby D. I, do you not like him in Jackie Brown? Because I think he's very good. No, I think he's I think he's great in that. But it's just I love that he's playing such like an off character. Like he's just a fucking dope in that. You know what I mean? He's he's well, not and a. And you small don't think criminal. of you don't think of De Niro and Stoner in the same sentence typically. And he's no, you do not. <laughs> but like you know, when I think of an intense. accurate depiction of an aging criminal, that's what I think of. Is that someone who's not that sharp? Maybe he wasn't that sharp to begin with. So something about De Niro that we, we have to talk about, because this this scene was in all the trailers uh, in in a lot of the reviews that I read at the time. Taxi it was driver. the one thing that people seem to universally like. But really, upon seeing it, it kind of falls flat is when as fearless leader, De Niro does the whole are you talking to me thing? Yeah. In this over the top cartoon villain way, which should have been show stoppingly funny. But there's two two strikes against it. First. Everyone has done that. Right. Everyone has done yeah. some variation of Are You Talking to Me? And frankly, he should have been able to pull it back with this movie, but it doesn't work. And part of the reason it doesn't work is in the movie, it's a complete non sequitur. He just starts doing it arbitrarily as if Fearless Leader is trying to do the bit, but it's not meta. Like, there should be a setup. There should be, like, confusion on the walkie-talkie that makes him go, Are you talking to me? Yes. But that's it's just exactly. there. That's it fair. Is and, and the bit just lays there like a dead dog. Like it goes on for too long. Like it, it's almost. Oh, it's, also, it's like it's like a precocious child actor. Where it's like, look at me, I'm brilliant. Like <laughs> the thing you to do though is that we're watching Rocky and Bullwinkle. Do we want to think about Taxi Driver? <laughs> right. Like uh, maybe if he did another right. legendary, you know, like make him an offer they can't refuse or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, you know, the other thing is, like, if you made it like a runner, like, if he kept, if if Fearless Leader kept doing De Niro bits, and, and nobody was really impressed, and then at one point he just goes, hoo-ha! And then somebody, like, leans in, and goes, Fearless Leader, I'm uh, not meaning to correct you, but uh, that was Al Pacino. <laughs> right. Or, like, uh, Fearless Leader, uh, I think that was the other guy, you know what I mean? We're doing punch-up on this 20-plus-year-old mm-hmm. movie. I know, yeah, oh. we're doing our, our, our fan rewrite script. And yeah, it's, it's bad enough. He takes out a revolver and puts a bullet in and just goes, just one bullet. <laughs> but, like, and that's another thing. For a movie where the story is pretty much just one damn thing after another, which is kind of true to Rocky and Bullwinkle because they had that serialized format, um, there's still too damn much stuff going on. The villain's evil scheme is way too complicated. Um, involving them coming to the real world and then buying and then selling movie rights and then using that money to buy television networks so that they could like use a brainwashing machine. But then they've also <laughs> invented a machine that turns cartoon characters into digital yes. information to trap them in the internet. But it's not right. a commentary on CGI versus 2D. But I then on top of that, like it was. But then, well, like, but it does. 
I, I think it wants to be, but it never yeah. quite makes it because I mean, because like maybe that should have been how Rocky and Bullwinkle become in the real world. They act, it accidentally shoots an old Rocky and Bullwinkle tape and makes them CGI. I don't I mean, know. You know I, I want to tell you like, a, a, as far as, you know, kind of making a joke about that, a, a more recent film that, that did this, that ex- explained that sort of stuff a lot better was the uh, Chippendale rescue Rangers movie on, on Disney oh, plus yeah. where, um, I, I keep on getting the characters' names confused because it's been so long since I've seen the the TV show. But Chip is the one in the jacket, is that right? And, I and think Dale's so. and Dale has the Hawaiian shirt or something. So for sake of argument, let's say that yeah, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that's it. So like Chip is done with cell shaded animation, looks more 2D looking, and Dale is 3D modern CG, you know, realistically rendered fur. And the explanation for that is Dale had plastic surgery. I know, and that's and that's really clever. I like yeah. that. But but then on t- but on top of that, and this is what I want to get to. There's because t- Rocky and Bullwinkle are kind of like archetypes. They don't really have like arcs. They're just these two best friends who 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 are good, who are pure hearted, and do the right thing. But this movie tries to give them an arc, but it's an arc that's completely unearned. Where like Bullwinkle, Frostbite falls in the cartoon, got deforested, and he's trying to get the president of the United States to help preserve animated wildlife, which mm-hmm. could be funny, but doesn't pay out. But then Rocky, for no reason whatsoever, can't fly anymore, except when he can fly. But then afterwards, he loses the ability to fly again. Right. That's, that's dopey. I, mean, I mean, on the more positive side, you have Jude Foray uh, once again reprising her role as. And she has not missed a beat. She's no, no, I mean, she, she can still get the timing and uh, get the voice to sound the same, and um, it, it, which is great. And I mean, I, I was rewatching some uh, contemporary reviews of this, uh, meaning reviews, you know, that were around at the time this came out in 2000, and I, I looked at the uh, Ebert and Roper show with the, uh, you know, um, Roger Ebert and Richard Roper. Nice. Yeah. Of course, uh, the follow-up to Cisco and Ebert, and Ebert liked it. Roper didn't. But what Roper, what they both were agreed on is they're saying how how witty and clever the uh, the the scene near the end is, where Bullwinkle has to be sucked into a computer and get sent through email. And so I was kind of looking forward to that sequence, and then when I saw it, I just hated it. Well, it, it shows how how little things change because, like, he flies through the internet. We get a call back to when they tested the weapon on the cartoon weasel, and uh-huh. you know he comes flying by. But one of the things that happens when he's flying through the internet is there are these big like corporate logos floating around. That was okay. Which they, yeah. they which they did the same exact thing in Wreck It Ralph, and I absolutely think, and a couple of other movies where somebody enters the internet. And at, at, to be fair, at, the, at the time in 2000, like the idea of sending emails and attachments and the internet was pretty new stuff for, for the average viewer. Oh yeah, I mean the the internet was still sort of this this amazing frontier, you know, at at the time that that not everybody had had grappled with. I'm sorry, but, I cut you off, Alex. Oh, um, what was I gonna say? Yeah, it's about it's Wreck-It like, Ralph, a different movie we could be talking about. <laughs> I'd rather be talking about. <laughs> I think I do think there is good stuff here, but I think it just it 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 stumbles a lot with trying to it, it doesn't have enough faith in its core material. And the core material is great. Rocky and Bullwinkle are great. But you're doing all this other stuff with these like, you know, fucking Joel Schumacher, Batman Forever 
Riddler plan. Didn't he do the same thing, like hypnotize everyone through television, right? Yes, yeah, except his involved people just got a device they plopped on top of their TV and it was a helmet. But yeah, basically TV makes people into idiots, which I think Mad yeah. Magazine was making jokes about that in the mid-50s when they started. Well, so. You know, on yeah, top exactly. of that, and this is this is such a missed opportunity because so so this you know this came out in was it like two was it two thousand? Uh, yes, yep. So this came out in in two thousand, and all I could think is the target for this this fake TV thing. It should be mocking Fox News, but Fox News was not the juggernaut it would become yet because nine eleven hadn't happened, and and I. I and yeah. ironically enough, that's like another comedic premise that 9-11 destroyed. <laughs> well, to me, Although, this, no, go on. Oh, something that did work for me without question is whenever they would show the TV, like the show, the Pottsylvanian TV shows, I found those endlessly hilarious, like six spies and a horse who is yeah. also a spy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Th- those were. I, I would watch a movie like, just of fake commercials for like that stuff, or even like a SCTV style animated show just about Pennsylvania oh, television, right? Like, and also, as someone I've actually watched propaganda from you know uh, communist China and um, freaking North Korea, and that's not like a far off depiction. It's usually something really ridiculous like that, like a soldier, a lover, and a spy. What? I I think I like because like it, it gets you in, it gives you the premise, you get the immediate payoff, and it gets you out. It's just great rapid fire comedy. But I would like to see like that should be an Adult Swim show. F- five spies and their horse, who is also a spy. <laughs> yeah, that that completely sounds like Adult Swim. Uh, but not just Adult Swim. The Adult Swim show that comes on like at one thirty in the morning, like this super weird. Yeah, stuff. they, they, they made like annoying. four episodes of this one show. So, so I have to ask: Do you think? Do you think one there was a lot of material cut from this movie, and two, do you think they were like doing a lot of last minute script rewrites? Because there, there are a number of things that seem like weirdly hanging, and and the one I'm really going to focus on is Jonathan Winters, who you know, comedy legend, has multiple cameos in this film as several different characters. But all those characters do something that, in the end, helps Rocky and Bullwinkle. And I have to wonder: Do you think there was supposed to be a payoff to that? Well, like, uh, and per- perhaps there'd be Captain... some scene where he'd show up at the end or something. Yeah, maybe. It, it, it yeah. does seem like they cut stuff out. It um, even at ninety-two minutes, this movie feels like it should have been half the length. I mean, it, it, it felt for me, two hours long. It should have been 71 like, minutes like all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, so the, thing, the thing for me with this that uh, just drove me, that I think to, that speaks to all the problems I have with this, is I think there's a scene where I believe they're in Chicago or something, they're being chased by, I don't know, Badenoff or, or, or some people. Who they were chased by, it doesn't really matter. Maybe the cop, they get chased by the cops a lot, in the, so something like that. And And they're going over a bridge and they have to, you know, drive the car so it goes over the, the pit, so it goes lands on the other side. And with that stupid slow motion gag of the, and, and you have a really like lame brain Nickelodeon late nineties picture like sound like, effect, sound effect and music and stuff in there. And it takes forever for just that whole beat sequence to go. And I'm, I'm thinking like, this should be like blues brothers, man, like cut, cut, cut. Like, yeah, exactly. It, it's just, it, it, there's no danger. You're not, you're not sucked in the well, Rocky also, Winkle stuff is it, the scenes with them 
cross country should be a highlight. And instead, aside from the novelty of the cameos, is kind of the worst stuff. Like the stuff in the beginning with Hollywood, I, I think is pretty good with Janine Garofalo. Yeah, I, and, I dug all that. And, and her, the executive. With Janine Garofalo. Oh, yeah, that was fun. It's rapid fire. It's funny. There's some satire yeah. in there. I think I think it, it, part of it is 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 it's sort of a misunderstanding of how Rocky and Bullwinkle works because like in, in the cartoons, Rocky and Bullwinkle and Boris and Natasha, they're not enemies. And in fact, most of the time, Rocky and Bullwinkle have no idea Boris and Natasha are after them because they're just so they're just sort of so so innocent. Like you know, they're just they're just always unaware of the peril they're in. I really feel like the movie should have been. Rocky and Bullwinkle traveling cross country for a reason that is completely unrelated to Fearless Leader's evil plan. Yeah. But Fearless Leader assumes they must be traveling cross country to stop him. So once again, he dispatches his two top agents. And, you know, like that should have been it. It shouldn't have been this overcomplicated thing about traveling to the real world and taking over America and all this other stuff. Yeah, it just it starts tripping over its own shoelaces. And also, speaking of the chase stuff, and there was a little bit too much of that, and like when they go to prison and everything, the court scene was funny, but the one thing I was thinking, right, so you have like the CIA, the local police, the who knows what coming at him, right, and they get arrested by like 50 different people. I was like thinking this would have been a perfect time for fucking Robert, uh, for Brendan Fraser to ride in on his horse as Dudley Do-Right. Yes, yes. And be like, ladies and gentlemen, these people have, you know, a, a royal pardon from the Canadian Mounted Police. Like, come with me. Like, I thought the been. exact same thing. Thank that, you. That, that Dudley mm. Do-Right would be one of the law enforcement officials that they right. have to deal with. He rides in, you know, on his backwards horse, you know. I, yeah, do to, it, I, I do like, like we you know, Whoopi Goldberg, the Honorable Judge Cameo. <laughs> yes, yeah. See, there's good stuff in here. I, for the most part, had a fun time watching it. It's just trying to do too much to explain. You don't have to, oh, you don't have to sell us on Rocky and Bullwinkle. If we're in the theater or watching the film, we like it. Um, and if you do Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff, we'll, we'll like that, too. Um, but again, it's just this like late '90s, early 2000s, like Nickelodeon style humor, where you're trying to be like cute, clever, but like family friendly. It's like, eh, it just kind of puts a bad stink on it. You know, you're pulling your punches, you're you're defaming the the premise a bit. You're it it it, it kind of feels like Rocky and Bullwinkle, um, but the the Simpsons episode where they took Itchy and Scratchy and made them on the porch. Want some lemonade, Itchy? Okay, Scratchy, like. <laughs> at that point, like why even use the Rocky and Bullwinkle name? Like there's, th- yeah. this could have been something, had you even taken this plot and you know, nowadays they'd probably make it into like a, a mini series or something that might've worked better too, because there's, there's too much going on here. And yet somehow it feels too slow because they're putting too much stuff. And uh, I, yeah, I really just don't. And this marketing is terrible. I'm looking at this theatrical <laughs> poster this summer. It's not the same old bull. So you're trying to say bullshit, but you're too chicken shit to say yeah, it. Yeah, see, it's shit like that, that, like, <laughs> that doesn't work. It's stupid, you know? Well, the, How about, the, like, better, the better joke is across the top where it says De Niro, Russo, Alexander, Moose, Squirrel. Right, yeah. Right, it, it doesn't help. Rocky and Boinkle comes out a few years after, or, yeah, like, you know, after the South Park movie. And, like, you know, when, or, or you know, when, when stuff like uh, South Park, uh, uh King of the Hill, Beavis and Butthead, like are, are pretty big things that are kind of more um, 
let's say adult oriented comedy or more kind of snarky stuff. Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time, hosted by me, Matt Bradley Shuri, Alex, and Thrasher. We also look at video games. We're working through Sierra Online's adventure games from Mystery House all the way up through Gabriel Knight 3 and larger pop culture topics. It's a lot of fun. For more info, go to SequelCast2.com, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. I mean, wouldn't I imagine having, like, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, like, you know... Uh, commenting on like the OJ trial or Monica Lewinsky or something. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? Like, geez, yeah. Why and would I, he the glove on? And like, yeah, I, just, I just remember I was. Moves. I would go to the movies uh, a lot in theaters back then with uh, um, my family and stuff, and I'd go with my mom, and my sister to something, and the trailer for this came up, and my mom, who doesn't give two shits about Rocky and Bullwinkle, five seconds into the trailer, just goes, "Oh no." <laughs> And I think that kind of shows you if you can't appeal to uh, a middle-aged um, white mother in the suburbs with Rocky and Bullwinkle, you've f- failed. Like it's that right. <laughs> should be the easiest target, other than than kids, perhaps. And it's like right. it's a property that uh, I, I think I worked at a. I, I was working some movie retail or rental stuff at the time this came out, and like this did very poorly at, at our stores, and and the ones. The only people yeah. that bought it were like guys in their fifties, like people's dads, right? Yeah, that knew what Rocking Boyinkle was, and uh, so yeah, I, I would say sequel no to the Adventures of Rocky and Boyinkle. This isn't the the worst thing we, we've talked about on the show, but I think it's one of the most disappointing considering all the talent that's involved and all the money that was spent. And it's like you made this, uh, <laughs> Thrasher. I uh, yeah, I've got to give it a, a a sequel. No, like there, there, there are some parts of this movie where I laughed out loud that I thought were brilliant, but they're t- too few and far between. It's this is one of the few movies where I feel like you might be able to make a half hour cut out of this movie that's mm-hmm. just amazing, but that's not what we got, and it's just this is a movie at war with itself. And you refunded your wife the four dollars it cost to rent this. Yeah, we had to rent it, yeah, and it was such a miserable experience for the two of us that that I paid her back, and then we agreed never to speak of this movie again. And Alex? Wow, this has got to be a sequel cast first. I'll give this the ever so slightly, barely qualifying by a hair sequel, slight, ever so slight, yes, I enjoyed the first act of all the good meta jokes with Gene mm-hmm. Garofalo and stuff like that. Um, I did have fun with the cameos, as uh, flat-footed as some of them are. Um, my biggest complaint, I think, was just Agent Compassion, or whatever her name is. I just thought that was a big old dookie dud move there. Um, and uh, the courtroom scene, there was the, the, fun court, the fun scenes that I did enjoy outweighed the very not so good parts that I kind of slogged through. Um, there's a lot of wasted potential, but I mean, Jason Alexander, Renee Russo, Robert De Niro are having a lot of fun. Um, you do get some classic Rocky Bullwinkle shenanigans. And I felt like that was fun. Um, we spent a lot of time on the road. That's probably cause you don't have a lot of money, uh, which is a bit of a detriment. And there was some stupid stuff, but I think for the most part, uh, the movie's got a little more heart than I would have thought, and uh, you know it's broad, and it is some a lot of it doesn't work, but a lot of it was a lot of fun to watch. 
So I'm 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 going to be the 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 contrary uh, Roger Ebert here. You monster! <laughs> Just when you there you go. Thinking. I mean, yeah, I I mean, if I was to do a Rocky and Bullwinkle film, I would probably aim for a bit of an older audience and maybe make it a crossover like Cheech and Chon meet Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> Right? I don't know. I mean, it's, and that's the thing. Like I said, they're they're funny without trying to be hip and modern and stuff like that. Like if you had taken the movie in um, what was the name of the cartoon land they're from? Oh, Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. Yeah. If, right. So if they were in um, Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, and then Robert uh, Fearless Leader becomes live action, and the plot is him trying to infiltrate the animated world and make the animated world three-dimensional and had everyone as voice actors, that would have maybe worked. Something like well, that. Know, actually, it's funny, because at one point, in the because it is kind of weird that when they cross over to the real world, when the villains cross over to the real world, they become human beings played by actors, but Rocky and Bobo stay cartoons. Mm. And I believe there's even a point where somebody points that out, like, wait a minute, how come you look like real <laughs> yeah. people when you grow over? And all I can, and, and it was just that moment where I like, you know, pointing out that your writing doesn't make sense does not make your writing better. <laughs> if, yeah, if anything, it only uh, draws focus to, um, that it's not, and then the rest of them, at least if you're like me, the rest of the movie you think about, yeah, no, the original show is, I'd rather be watching it, that instead. It, excuse me, your budget is showing. Go. <laughs> oh. no. oh. um, and that's coming yeah. from someone who likes the movie. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's move on to what you're watching. I, I saw something that was far better than I expected. I expected it to be the, the biggest kind of puff piece ever. And this was a new documentary that dropped on Disney Plus, directed by Jeff Malmberg, Mickey, the Story of a Mouse. Hmm. To me, there's nothing less interesting than Mickey Mouse. And yet this yeah, thing yeah. shows, um, this thing actually has uh, some, some teeth to it. They show old footage of cartoons. You can't watch the whole cartoons of Mickey Mouse, but it shows Mickey Mouse um, stuff that was of their time of Mickey Mouse in blackface, Mickey Mouse dressed as a, a stereotypical Native American. It's, um, so it's like really a warts and all documentary. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It, 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 I, I was really <laughs> impressed by that, and and also part of it is about the the making of kind of the wraparound story is the making of an anime, a one minute animated short, two D animated that sort of celebrates Mickey Mouse's history, and then you get to see the whole short at the end, which that's that's um, it, the short I, I think could have been better, but it does. Pay like Omar, it does show the different Mickey Mouse animation styles over time. Uh, they even play the clip from The Simpsons, which, uh, to remind viewers, Disney owns all the Fox stuff except Fox News. So The Simpsons is now a Disney thing, but it shows the clip of Bart Simpson. I think he's on a train. He puts on Mickey Mouse ears and says, Oh, I'm the head of a, 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 a corporate overlord, a corporation. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, and like Disney puts that in a Disney documentary, like. Like, you know, they, yeah. they took the assignment seriously. This uh, wow, the, docu okay. the documentary, uh, the, the director, Jeff Baumberg, is perhaps best known for uh, doing the documentary called... Oh, the name of this documentary is horrendous. Hold on. Damn it. Uh, it it's the documentary that was the um, inspiration for the Steve Carell movie about a guy with PTSD who just made a bunch of... Um, uh, so, toy soldiers in his yard. Yes, Barwin call. Yeah, yeah. 
and and this uh, this director also edited the really good Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? So I mean, he has real strong bona fides, and um, and this was a really good documentary, shockingly so, and it and uh, through a, a mixture of vintage and and new clips, and uh, yeah, I, I would recommend it in spite of itself because I. I had to, I spent like a week convincing myself to watch it because I just had nothing else I really wanted to watch, and I didn't tap out, and I, I I actually learned some stuff from it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. Mickey, the story of a mouse. Hey, uh, speaking speaking of uh, what if it was like Rocky, the Adventures of Rocky and Marwin Call? I think it would go something like this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh, 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 geez, uh, Rocky looks pretty sad. What's happening? I don't know, Bullwinkle. You, uh, I'm setting up all sorts of uh, little soldiers and setting them on fire in the backyard. It reminds me of when I was in Denain. Oh, come on, Rook. I don't have a Denain thing to think about that. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm setting up all these dolls in these like little intricate pl- uh, place settings. Uh, tableaus? Though the tab is pretty high down at the saloon. <laughs> there, there, I just did it, I just did it. Very good, very good. The, um, I have to drink away all those horrible things I did. <laughs> the 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 uh, there was a really good line early on in the Rocky and Boinkle film that you have them all. Uh, I think they just got to their real world. They're driving around, and uh, Boinkle makes a bad joke, and Rocky is like, uh, "Boinkle, that's not a good joke at all." And uh, Boinkle says, "Well, Rock, they never are." <laughs> like like in its best rocking boinkle is like the original muppet show where it's like they're they're not very good comedians and they know it and they still have to kind of suffer through it right <laughs> yeah. oh. nice uh, alex what is something you've been watching oh geez so uh, uh, uh we were talking about this off mic should we go there um maybe not maybe not it's a bit dark for after we just talk about Rocky and Boinkle to talk about. Yeah, that's probably a, a that's probably a good idea. Um, I watched a really interesting movie. Um, as you know, I am a I am a big fan of uh, international art house cinema. Ho ho ho, hoo, 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 ho 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 ho. Oh, So they uh, recently released a fourth vo- eagerly awaited fourth volume of uh, Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project. Um, I guess. It's the coolest thing ever. He goes around restoring lost, thought to be lost, or badly treated, mangled movies from around the world. Um, Gives them some loving and slaps them on a a high-def Blu-ray disc, and uh, they're sold by the Criterion Collection. So I watched the second entry in his fourth volume, Prisoners of the Land or Prisoners de la Terra, is Argentinian film about uh, Argentina 1915, and um, this uh, plantation owner who's, you know, a big, a yucky tyrant who hires a bunch of laborers to basically clear a bunch of land so they can, you know, develop on it, basically. And it's a great, you know, kind of like Steinbeck-esque kind of uh, adventure film slash labor commentary. Um, and it goes pretty deep in the kind of, uh, you know, reparations for the um, kind of tyrannical, awful... Um, uh, plantation owner, and it's a it's a pretty searing indictment of I think uh, Argentinian you know labor reform and stuff like that. Pretty fascinating film. 
I can't tell you who, anyone who's in it. I can, but you're not going to know who they are. I don't know who they are. Um, starring Francisco Petrone, uh, Aniel Manana. Um, I'm going to stop there um, before I mispronounce any more names. But directed by um, Mar- Mario Safici. And um, this is this is what's so cool about this is that you get uh, Scorsese introducing these films. And then he introduces uh, the film critics who, you know, reviewed them at the time. And the writers who wrote the script and the script consultants who helped the writers. And you kind of get to take this deep dive with each movie that kind of brings you to all these other great movies. And it's a really fun experience to dig into these films because you're I'm always looking for something new and unseen to watch. And this is like this is that for me. It's a it's a great, great adventure to take. And hmm, does um, Scorsese do any kind of like filmed introductions talking about the films or has an essay in the booklet or? Yeah, he does. Um, He does an intro for each film and it's one of the best parts of the set, actually. I Well, sometimes if I'm doing research or what have you, I'll pop that in just to get some names to get going. You know what I mean? If I'm like doing an essay on someone, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I can throw in that Scorsese thing and it'll get me going. Um, also, he pronounces everyone's names perfectly. So all I have to ask, is there a post-credit sequence that sets up what's going to happen next in the world cinematic universe? I wish that were the case. <laughs> I'm Martin Scorsese, and I'd like to tell you that in the next feature, we're going to have another box set of even more obscure films from around the world. And also, the work of Sam Fuller. Uh, c- quite a while ago, Scorsese did um, these really good uh, documentaries about, one was Italian cinema, and I think one was American cinema. Yeah, um, my my personal journey through uh, yes. American. So yeah, they're, those are great too. Those are what I call pen and paper documentaries because you're just going to be writing down titles to watch. Like, holy shit, I haven't seen this. Holy shit, I haven't seen that. Absolutely. I probably got and, and more out of it. Makes me think in. it would be great if Scorsese and Coppola, uh, or Coppola, excuse me, um, teamed up to do one of those on Marvel films. I think uh, there could be something there. Yeah, or just, uh, I think, or I think with Lucas, especially someone who was mm, part of their yes, kind yes. of uh, American Zoetrope thing. And also, who knows, uh, you know, a thing or two about visual effects and stuff like that. Right, but I think sort of to get in deeper, to get some, like, I agree with what they're they're saying with the negative things about the, the Marvel and, the, and the, the all the comic book movies. But to just get a documentary, let them do a deep dive and just really kind of let it all hang out. I think would be something I, I would like to see at least. And Scorsese is a terrific documentarian. I mean, just oh, yes. as competent as a feature director as he is a documentarian. He's done a lot more than people realize, a lot of con- uh, some concert films as well. Um, yeah, certainly. Quite quite something. Um, all right. Well, we got a sequel scene here. Why don't you set it up, Thrasher? All right. So this is a... Oh, wait, excuse uh, me, is... Thrasher. You, you haven't done your... your um, my, watch, my, what, you. what you watch? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. I guess yeah. I'll go ahead and I'll do that. So so I uh, so I uh, this past week uh, weekend I watched uh, Nope, the uh, latest film. Well, oh, technically oh. not anymore. Latest film by Jordan Peele. I have not seen Nope yet because it was in theater so briefly. Sadly, um, how is it? It it is marvelous. I nice. I, I I want to rewatch it. This may actually be my favorite film he's done. Same. Uh, Oh yeah, and, and and it's it's one of those things, and and I, I suspect part of I think I think there's two reasons for that is that one, uh, this 
it is a film that is very much about filmmaking and the relationship between the audience and what the audience views uh, and whether or not those and, you know, whether or not that is a, a, a true two way exchange or not. But the other thing. And this isn't, a, you know, this isn't giving anything away because this was all over the trailers, uh, you know, that there's a UFO element in this film. And something that I found fascinating is that when you break it down, this movie tells the story of UFO lore backwards. Yeah. Oh. That, mm. that once the UFO theme is introduced, it's it's presented in a very sort of modern way. But as you go back, the UFO lore kind of regresses and where it ends up goes all the way back to Charles Fort and his book of the dam. Charles Fort being the American author who is often called the inventor of the supernatural. And he was one of the first people to write about UFOs, though they weren't called UFOs at the time. And the fact that the name changes is a thing that is a line that's dropped in this movie. <laughs> but... Uh, and I don't expect anyone but me to have read the works of Charles Fort, but I'm just going <laughs> to say that Charles Fort was correct in his theory, <laughs> and yeah. I absolutely love that. Did they make reference to the uh, Barney and Betty Hill case? No, uh, interestingly enough, they don't. That, well, that's the fascinating thing is they they never like directly reference any like they don't talk about Roswell, they don't talk about Area 51, uh, but like it's it's it's. But it's there. You can tell that it's on some of the characters' minds. And I also just I just love the stuff about filmmaking. There, there um, are some amazing, like, very well-observed stuff about filmmaking and filmmaking technology, which is reflected in the supernatural threat that is in the film. And, and touching on the history of filmmaking, and also, like, my new, like, dream in life is to hang out with Michael Wincott and use that manual camera. That's, like, heaven to me. <laughs> yes! Is, that is, is such a great gadget. Getting sucked into a... a oh, I don't say anything. Um, but being with Michael Wincott and using that camera, that's, like, my heaven right there. Like, if, if there is a god, I will get that when I pass on to there, the next realm. <laughs> there, there is a scene yeah. that just took me back to film school in all the best ways. Uh, oh, I think totally. you know what that scene is, Alex. Uh, oh, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, God, but it's 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 just a marvelous work of science fiction, and uh, it, it, I, I again, it just it also you know, just whets my appetite for whatever's going to happen uh, next with Jordan Peele's uh, writing and directing career. Totally. Yeah, I, I have yet to see it. I, I'm quite curious, and uh, it looks like it's it's streaming um, as of this recording on on Peacock, and, and you can rent it from a, a numerous amount of services. Oh, oh and I do have to say. Keith David is in this film. Yeah. He is always a treat. But but they wow, the paces they put Keith David through. Yeah. Like he does he doesn't have much screen time, but what screen time he has is amazing. It's one of the few times when I'm watching something and I have no idea what direction it's going to take us in and I mm. loved every second of it. Yeah, I mean with, with Jordan Peele, I haven't seen this. I've seen his other two films. Um, and I, th I think out of the the two films, Get Out and Us, I think I preferred Us a bit more, oh, really? despite the fact I predicted the the ending sort of early on as I was watching it. Yeah, you're not going to get that with Nope. I, at least right. I don't think so. Um, it's funny because I think I think Get Out is the most entertaining of the lot. I think Us is the most 
is more interesting than Get Out. And I think Nope, for me, just blows them all the water because it, it hits me on a very personal level in terms of film, filmmaking, history, mm, and just history, yeah. other pop cultural ven- vernacular that's just very niche. I feel oh, like the, Jordan Peele and I would like hanging out together. <laughs> the Mad Magazine <laughs> reference and like the yes. well-observed, <laughs> the well, the, there's a little monologue uh, that uh, Stephen Yen's character uh, gives and it's just his monologue. He just he just makes a very well observed comment about how SNL worked in the late night. Yes, hmm. actually, and also I will say out of the evil, not the Evil Dead, blah, the Lumbering Dead um, alumni, Stephen Young, I think has handled his career the best. Um, he's phenomenal in this, and I mean, recently with uh, Minari, um, Lee Chang Dong's Burning in 2018, Bong Joon Ho's Okja, he's doing the most interesting work out of the lot. Did you say Lumbering Dead? Did you mean Walking Dead? Yeah, that was a joke. Ah. <laughs> it just keeps on going. He's getting like six spinoff shows and the, the latest uh, um, head of AMC was CEO for a mere three months before taking off with a golden parachute of uh, $10 million. So that's wow. a good bracket. I'm, I'm missing out. Um, I mean, I love that show just because it gave me the, the coral memes. Um, <laughs> cor- coral. Gotta be careful, Coral Walkers. Yeah, good. I mean, I never even got past season one of that show, and I, I worked uh, for disclosure. I did work on a um, oh, like an NFT project related with that IP. Uh, at a, at I got pretty. F- I that. thought I got pretty far, but it keeps going. So I got like yeah, five in. I think. Oh, and, and towards the end, they do this sort of cheesy thing that like. Uh, I was going to say Battleship Pretension, but that's not right. The uh, Battlestar Galactica did, where it's like season six, part one, season six, part two. Oh, and they like God, stretch it out over like yeah. two years or whatever. Well, you say towards the end. It's more like towards the middle at this point. Okay. No, no. Fair enough. Yeah. It's, um, I think the, the funny thing when I did some Walking Dead work is we had specifications about like, it, it gets so specific when you're working with licensees, like the colors of the eyes. If, if animals are infected and it's different if you have the comic license or if you have the AMC show license. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's all these minuscule things. So, I mean, I, I'll say if anyone says like, Oh, they're not paying attention about stuff. Like, trust me, everything you've thought about has been discussed in a meeting 5 million times. <laughs> and there's reasons why things are the way they're there. You may not agree with them, but it, it's not because like, uh, it's a lack of forethought foresight. So, with that fun note being said, uh, let's go into the sequel scene. This is one with uh, Martin and Lewis, a.k.a. Uh, Keenan and Kel. Ha- have they uh, just picked them up at this point, or what's what's the scene? Yeah, this is this is shortly after they've picked up Rocky and Bullwinkle, and they're, they're driving back to good old What's the Matter You? And they're just kind of, like, talking, because, like, I think, I think Rocky and Bullwinkle, they make a comment about how they need to, they need to talk uh, to the president and the only way they know how to do that is to just drive to the White House. And and Martin Lewis think that's weird in an age of advanced telecommunication. Okay, Please who, let me be Bullwinkle. Yes, yeah, you can you can be Bullwinkle. Um, okay. Alex, do you mind if I play Martin? Not at all, I'm sure. Okay, so and and they're in the car in the scene. Is that right? Uh, yep, they're in their car. Okay, uh, action. Don't you guys know about faxes? Yeah, don't you know about email? Sure, a fax is a little red critter that hunts geese and chickens. Half of them are males, and the other half are emails. 
No, it's a way of transmitting computer-generated information across great distances in the blink of an eye. Well, I was close. That's kind of funny, see? Oh, no, again, but that's the kind of <laughs> gag they would do on the show. Yeah, It's totally. perfectly serviceable gag. Although, at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, right, computer-generated information. That's what they are. They're CGI yes. now. Why didn't they fax <laughs> themselves? <laughs> I, <laughs> I felt like that was a setup for Rocky and Bullwinkle discovering they could just fax themselves. But it turns out it's not. No, yeah. I mean, Although, could, I guess it yeah. does pay off when when Bullwinkle, when he's in the internet, that's how he gets out. He sends himself through the fax machine. Right, but it's like, I mean, you could have also done a joke, like, I'm terrible at jokes, but it's like, Hey, Bullwinkle, why don't you go fax yourself? Excuse me, this is a family program. <laughs> nice. So, a lot of comedic uh, potential with um, faxes. I sure hope we don't ever get stuck eating poop. What? Oh, oh, like Pinocchio? Or I don't, so so yeah. two squirrels, one moose? Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think you're re- re- referencing the Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio, in which oh. there, there's a scene where Pinocchio, He's and I'm not making this up, finds poop and picks it up and thinks it and, uh, and tries to stick it in his mouth. Oh. I'm totally going to watch that movie now. <laughs> it's um, that, it, That's what sold me on it. <laughs> It, you, you know, it, it's it's a it's a very interesting contrast. And this year, yeah, maybe this is something we should do on, on the show sometime. But in this year alone, there has been no less than three remakes of Pinocchio. There is a um, uh, there's like a, I believe a, a a Russian or maybe former Russian country uh, production that was animated with Polly Shore as the voice of Pinocchio that oh. became a lot of memes. Oh yeah. There's there's the Disney one with Zemeckis that came out, and there's the Guillermo del Toro uh, stop motion one and that no is set in a fascist Italy that's getting really good reviews. I'm not even sure if it's out on Netflix yet. I really want to see the del Toro one, and <laughs> I really want to see the Zemeckis one if it features a poop eating Pinocchio. It <laughs> it does feature a PEP. So <laughs> nice. All right. Speaking of poop eating Pinocchios, we need to wrap up the show. Uh, for it's <laughs> a terrible segue. Podcast two and friends. Um, and this is Matt. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, this is Thrasher. You can follow me on Instagram at WT2Art. And I've been Alex Miller. You can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. I'm also pretty active on Letterboxd. And quick plug, if you happen to be in the Los Angeles area on December 17th, uh, my short film Burnt by the Sun will be screening at Craig Baldwin's Other Cinema. So be there or be square. I fortunately will not be there because I have to do other things at that point at that month. But I'm going to miss my own feature premiere, but that's okay. You can go see it, too. So did speed. you have to submit it in a digital format or what was the? Yeah, digital. Yeah, yeah. OK. Although it's shot entirely on film. Boom. So did. I'll talk about this off mic. The yeah, listeners aren't interested. Okay. Great. Okay. So uh, again, website sequelcast2.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be talking about Alex, it's your turn. The Twilight Saga. I've never New seen New Moon. Yeah, no, this is quite something. I've, I've seen them a long time ago. I, never, I should try reading some of the books as we um, get into it. But. Yeah, this is kind of vampires were are, are always in and out in, in pop culture in different ways and seem to be the most resilient of the classic sort of monster kid, universal monster stuff. And 
to see it kind of done through the um, tween romance uh, angle through five movies. Uh, I mean, this was the the Twilight was one of the first examples I remember where they took a book and divided it into two films at the end <laughs> just to make more money. So I also I'm I'm eager to watch this because Kristen Stewart's one of my favorite actors working today, and I've never seen a Twilight film. Yeah, it turns out she's really good. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Um, you just have to not be because I remember she would get bagged. She would get so much shit for those movies. Um, but we'll talk about that when we watch the movies, I guess. But um, yeah, no, she's phenomenal. Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow. 